Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. Good morning, Christ Church. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning, the first Sunday of Epiphany. And uh, the short story that I feel like I need to say, in case my wife is watching this, she's not the one that introduced me to crew. Um, but I lucked out and was blessed to meet my wife many years later. Her name is Meredith, and we have two children, uh, a three-year-old, almost four, and a one-year-old who is going on 32. Um, yeah, their names are Jeremiah and Liesel. This morning I'm going to reflect a little bit, give you a forewarning of what I'm going to talk about, reflect a little bit about mission, the season of Epiphany, and where we are today on the, on the Feast of Christ's Baptism, as well as uh, what it could mean for you um, to be thinking about baptism and mission in Christ's kingdom. So if you were here at the first service, you heard this um, same analogy that that I came up with a few weeks ago, that the season, from the season of Advent all the way to the season of Lent, is what I call uh, the great peanut butter and jelly sandwich of the church calendar. On both ends of the sandwich, we have the bread. And it is the bread that gives structure to the rest of the sandwich. Otherwise, the PB&J would just fall apart. The, the bread are the two great fasts, Advent and Lent. Like Lent, Advent is a season where we reflect on our humanity and, our, and where we, um, what, what we are ultimately going to do, die. The traditional themes of Advent were judgment, heaven, hell, and death. Not, not the modern variant of love and joy and peace, kind of uplifting things considering, aren't they? But the bread is there to give us structure because if we look into the rest of the year, a fast will hold our focus to God. It keeps us rooted, keeps us grounded. On our PB&J sandwich, the analogy that I'm putting together, there is always something sweet. It's the jelly. It's the smallest of the church seasons. It lasts one, maybe two weeks per year if we're lucky. And it is literally a flashbang. C.S. Lewis put it this way that it's a feast in honor of our king who has just landed incognito. It's a feast that lasts just a, for a small second, but it is sweet nonetheless. And here we are, we've exited Christmas tide this past week and entered Epiphany. And what does that mean for us practically as well as for our church calendar? The main ingredient of our sandwich even is the peanut butter. It's the protein, and if you were in my parents' home when I was a child, my mother would make these nice PB&J sandwiches, and she would say, the peanut butter is what is the sustenance to the sandwich. It's what will stick with you. It'll stick to your bones, in fact, is what she said. In Epiphany, we see the theme of enlightenment. We see Jesus being presented in the temple all the way to his transfiguration. It is his journey to stepping into the role of Messiah, Savior, and King. As we journey with him, as he grows up, we too can find ourselves reflecting on how he, or how he is calling us to live in light of that, of whom he really is, our Messiah and Savior and King. Because we have seen Jesus in epiphany, in this growing stage, we can travel through the long, long, dark feet, uh, Lent, fast of Lent, 
with hope that we know that he has authority over death. Today we look at our gospel readings and see that Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. Most of my life I've been curious what that meant, why he stepped into the river and why he was baptized, especially if he himself is God, what did he have to prove? But I had a thought not long ago, and I might even call it my own little epiphany. Today I preach to you the good news that Christ was baptized into mission, and we too are baptized into that mission. Let's pray. Father, open my lips to make Jesus and his mission known. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our ears so that we may receive your word and approach the table with gladness and joy. Amen. I've not always been Anglican. I grew up Baptist in the, in the Baptist tradition, where people are baptized only making an affirmation of faith. In our tradition, Anglicanism, we baptize infants and small children, and despite the difference between Baptists and Anglicans and all the other traditions of the world in regard to what we believe about baptism, one mark remains the same. It is submission. When we baptize our children, we promise to teach the young ones to follow the Lord. We make a commitment as a congregation to do this very thing. As a congregation, we stand with the parents and say, I will help teach. I will be there. Baptism remains a a moment of surrender, whether as an adult making a functional declaration of an allegiance to God or as the parent surrendering their child to God. In Epiphany, we get to ask questions. And it's a, it's a permission. We get, a, we get permission to ask questions knowing we'll get at least a part of the answer. And most of my life, as I said earlier, I've wondered, why did Jesus choose to be baptized? And by John, of all people. Why did he step into the water that day? What did he have to prove? At age 30, this is about the age he was, he, he walked onto the scene. He had been absent from literature for, or in from historical moment between ages 12 to this point. So we don't know much about his life until then. I imagine that he experienced a lot of the same hardships and joys that we experience in our growing up years. We even might imagine that with the disappearance from scripture that his earthly father, Joseph, has passed away. So he experienced great loss. Being fully human, Jesus experienced many of the pains and ailments that we all have. And at this point, at age 30, he's reached the beginning of his heroic arc. Our our gospel reading today shows us that Jesus submitted himself to his life's mission. And that's the point. I think that's the point why he, he chose to be baptized. Jesus' baptism is a physical representation of his humility. He is actively submitting to the will of God. And he takes upon the mission to begin his journey toward the cross that he knows he's going to be on. We see this kind of humility twice more in scripture. One of which is a direct parallel to his baptism, the transfiguration. Not to jump too far ahead in Epiphany, and I'm sorry for whoever will preach that sermon um, on on, uh, the transfiguration, but uh, I'm going to jump there. The apostles witnessed this baptismal event reoccur as the clouds pull back and the Father says, 
I am well pleased. This is my son. One writer says, the transfiguration is one of the miracles of Jesus in the gospel. One of the, the miracle is unique as it happens to Jesus himself. He's not doing it to someone. St. Thomas Aquinas considered it the greatest miracle since it complemented his baptism and showed perfection in heaven. The transfiguration is one of the five major milestones in the life of Jesus, his baptism, transfiguration, crucifixion, and resurrection, and ascension. In Christian teachings, the transfiguration is a pivotal moment where human nature of Jesus meets God. The transfiguration is the meeting place of temporal and eternal with Jesus himself being the bridge, acting as a connecting point. And we might even say that's the same in his baptism. He is the connecting point bridge between God and human. In other words, God is well pleased because Jesus has stepped into, the, into his role, into his shoes, and said, I will go, I will do, on behalf of the world. The second place we see this great, great act of submission by Christ is at Gethsemane. And we'll see this later on in Holy Week. And we see Christ, he's kneeling down, sweating tears of blood. And he says to the Father, if you will, let this cup pass from me. He knows what's coming next. He knows that he will die. He knows that he will, he will hang upon a tree, bridge between two worlds. That's what his, his mission and his baptism meant. They're expressed in his baptism that he will one day die and he will be resurrected. The baptism of Jesus points us to this and his death and his resurrection. We cannot escape it. It's not a trivial point that we choose to just suddenly uh, or initiate our children into. Baptism is something that opens the door to proclaiming and submitting to God's plan. One of my favorite writers, N.T. Wright, beautifully stated, the New Testament affirms the importance of John's baptism as the beginning of Jesus' own ministry, of Jesus himself submitting to John's baptism. But then Jesus picks up the language of the baptism, and in a famous passage in Mark and elsewhere, he speaks to the disciples of being baptized in the same baptism that he was baptized. He's not talking of water. He's talking of his own death. And as we saw earlier, he chose the Passover, Jewish, the Jewish Exodus festival, as a moment to act symbolically. And Jesus' own baptism, death, and resurrection were, were already present. And all the multiple layers of meaning that were already present in baptism were to be recentered on the event of Jesus' death and resurrection. Through the water, God's new world. Wright continues, and he tells a story about a funeral that he went to. And he says, I once heard a funeral sermon in which the preacher said, As we trust that Jesus died and was raised to heaven, so we trust that our beloved friend has now died and has been raised to heaven. And Wright says, that's not the point. Easter is not Jesus getting to heaven when he died. And I say, thanks be to God for that. Easter is Jesus' newly embodied life, launching God's new creation through the water of death. And that's why, from the very earliest Christian sources that we possess, Christian baptism is linked not just to Jesus' baptism, not the exodus into the first creation, but Jesus' own death and his own resurrection. 
So what does this have to do with me? What does it have to do with you or us or Christendom as a whole? If Jesus' baptism is truly the point of his submission to his ultimate sacrifice and resurrection for the salvation of the world, then is it a call, what is it a call for us to do? And I would say it's a call for us to submit to his plan. What do we know that is truly generally generic and in general for all of humanity? And I think it's probably found in the last closing words of St. Matthew's gospel. He says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority is given to me in heaven on earth and has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Imagine with me what Jesus' commission here means for us. We can rest assured that he is here with us right now because he said he would always be with us. He tells his apostles, and by virtue of the command, has passed historically, and may I even add, maybe apostolically on to us, go and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you and make them disciples of all nations. When I was a junior in college, I went on a summer mission to, uh, to Russia for six weeks. It was my first time outside the U.S. It was the first time I was on an airplane ever. And maybe the first time I had really left my area of the United States. I stepped off that plane and on the last day of May, and it was snowing. And I was ready for summer vacation, not snow. That summer, I spent my summer ta- talking to everyone, hoping to get into a spiritual conversation and ask people, would you like to follow Jesus? And I didn't see anyone place their faith in Christ that summer. I didn't see any big changes in, in people's lives. But what I did experience was my own heart being changed. And that's sometimes what mission does, is it's, more, it's, it's geared to change us. Um, God works in mysterious ways and sending us on mission sometimes disciples us and disciplines us. I met a gentleman there my last day, I believe, and it was a pivotal moment for me when I realized for the very first time I'd met someone who had no clue who Jesus was. Not just that he didn't have a relationship or didn't have an understanding of the details or the theology, but he had no clue it was like a sheep in headlights, and, or deer in headlights. And so that's, you know, that changed my world. That rocked my world. I came back to the United States, went back to my hometown in Tennessee, and said, dear God, I've got to go back, because there are people who legitimately do not hear and do not know. In 2020, as the world shut down, and I found that I had a lot of time on my hands. Maybe you did as well. We all had different experiences. I began to spend time with my neighbors, uh, we did a, we had a neighborhood group of guys that hang out still regularly, but one of the guys in the group, he lives on the corner of a roundabout and he, uh, he's an atheist and he has an interesting lifestyle that's not, not in line with mine. Uh, and you might ask, Jeremy, why would you choose to hang out with this person, um, and I think that's the point, is to get to know the people around us and be salt and light and to, to share Jesus any way we can with them. 
So I got to spending time with this person, and we become good, really good friends. We don't have a whole lot in common theologically or religiously or morally, but we have, uh, we have things to talk about. So he asks questions, I answer my opinion, my thoughts, and we, we have a good conversation. Well, one day, he came to me and he said, Jeremy, I think there's something different about you and this other guy who's a Christian, different from the rest of the neighbors. And I had a good chuckle to myself and I, afterwards, and I told the other Christian this, and I said, yeah, it's clear what's different. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us to share the gospel in ways that we never would have thought my story, my reason for sharing these two stories with you uh, is it kind of reminds me of what the first lesson is getting at today, where St. Peter says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism of John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. When I think about that passage, I think Jesus lived out the Great Commission before us. Matthew 28, he says, Go and tell others and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them all that I've taught you. This is him teaching them all that he has taught them. Peter's words sound eerily like the Great Commission, and he says, I will be with you. Go and tell. Friends, we have the call to live on mission. Perhaps this looks practically for you to consider going next door to your neighbor and getting to know them. Maybe it means taking out cookies or just asking their name and, and asking them, how can I pray for you? Maybe God is calling you to go on mission to somewhere outside of the Permian Basin or outside of Texas or even outside of the U.S. Maybe God is calling you to get onto the border and saying, hey, I will care for the folks coming across and share, share the Lord with them. Rest assured, your baptism in Christ is an initiation to this call to make him known. Perhaps a simple way to explore this call is to make, take the gospel and, and share your stories of what God has done and, and help others consider going as well. An interesting way of doing that uh, would be to go to the New Wineskins Conference, and that's who I work for. Um, out, out in the foyer, I have a little uh, corner on the Welcome Center. And there's a new wineskins uh, uh, brochures or cards or I don't know what we call these things. But it tells you, you know, hey, this is the dates for a conference. This is what we plan to do. At New Wineskins, we have one simple mission, to make God known and to mobilize Anglicans for world mission. So what we do is we have every three years currently. I'm, I'm quietly politicking for moving that to every two years, but that's another story for another day. Um, but every, every three years, we host this conference where one member of the clergy, maybe you know them, said, it's like a little piece of heaven that you get to come and you get to see the various nations tell their stories of what God is doing and worship under one roof 
It's just three days, three short days, and three years. There are other ways of doing it, you, uh, of living out your mission. Maybe your call is to, is to go on mission yourself. I'd love to talk with you about how, how I can help you network into a different, um, maybe a short-term or a middle-term or a long-term call. I would also love to share with you how you could invest in God's kingdom. Um, and so there's many ways. Regardless, God said, Christ said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So I ask you today, will you go anywhere? Will you say anything? Will you do anything? Will you give up anything for the cause of Christ? And this epiphany, I do preach to you the good news that we are baptized into the same mission that Christ was baptized into to make him known all over the world. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.